Good evening, everyone. I wanted to quote from a song that I don't know if you know, um, and thank you for that song, brother, 162, wherever you disappeared to. I've never sung that before, so now I know it. That's awesome. Uh, the song is 436 in the Red Book. Perhaps you know it, but it says this. It kind of summarizes some of the things that we had uh, talked about this morning. The, the hymn writer, author unknown, says, Lord Jesus, thou who only art the endless source of purest joy. O come and fill this longing heart, may naught but thee my thoughts employ. Teach me on thee to fix my eye, for none but thee can satisfy. The joys of earth can never fill the heart that's tasted of thy love. No portion would I seek until I reign with thee, my Lord above, when I shall gaze upon thy face and know more fully all thy grace. Oh, what is all that earth can give? I'm called to share in God's own joy. It's the fourth verse. Oh, what is all that earth can give? I'm called to share in God's own joy. So um, some brothers have said it something like this, that uh, Christ spoils us for this world, right? We're just kind of not impressed. <laughs> um, I like to think of it in the kind of the imagery of 2 Corinthians 3, where it um, talks about the new covenant in contrast with the old covenant, that the old covenant's glory, you know, is introduced with glory, Sinai, and all the thunder and lightning, all the glory of that. But in comparison to the new covenant, uh, you can't even see the glory of the old. Like, it's kind of like um, if you're at a stadium and the lights were shining down at night and you're looking at it, you couldn't even look at the stadium lights, but go there during the daytime when the sun's up at noon, right? You'd be looking, trying to figure out if the lights were even on, right? So the greater glory just blows away the other, that you're just not very impressed, gloriously unimpressed, you know, with this world. So the Lord help us to be enjoying the Lord Jesus. Um, the enjoyment of Christ delivers us from many, from everything, really, right? Second um, Peter 1, I, I quoted from it, we've escaped the corruption that's in this world through lust. All those desires... Um, through the enjoyment of Christ, we escape the corruption that comes from those desires that can't satisfy, like we were um, thinking about from Ephesians 4, which you can turn to, Ephesians chapter 4, uh, how the old man <clears throat> corrupts itself according to the deceitful lusts. And it's because the desires um, can't satisfy, and so they corrupt instead. They destroy, they drag people down. And so by coming to know the Lord Jesus, we're set free from the deceitful lust and the corruption that comes along with them. Now, obviously, there's an exhortation here to Christians, right? This is written to believers that we want to uh, live in the good of that. So it's possible as a believer to kind of still live in that realm of the corruption that comes from the deceitful lust. Uh, maybe, maybe someone here tonight is kind of over there living in that. And you'll never be satisfied. <laughs> you probably knew that. Um, but you'll never be satisfied apart from the Lord Jesus. Um, one brother, uh, Bernard Osborne, he, I listened to some recordings of him, his, and he talked about Ecclesiastes as a, <clears throat> a heart, excuse me, an object that's too small for the heart, right? He's looking to the world to try to find satisfaction, but it won't work because God created our heart to be filled by him. <laughs> and so the world will never fill it, and so we'll always come up empty and find it a disappointing but then he said, Song of Solomon is an object too large for the heart. Right? So that's like what it is when we come to know the Lord Jesus and his love towards us. 
is an object too large for the heart. And so then it results in what we were looking at in John 4, this idea of satisfaction even to overflowing. Um, could our hearts possibly um, contain the, the glory of the Lord Jesus? You know, will we ever like get to the end of knowing and enjoying him and we'll say, well, I guess I got it all figured out now and I, you know, I got to go on to the next thing. <laughs> or his love towards us like we were uh, singing about. You know, has there ever been a Christian that kept enjoying the Lord Jesus, enjoying the Lord Jesus, enjoying being loved to the Lord Jesus, and then thought, well, you know, all right, I got it all, now we'll move on to the next love, the next joy that's kind of even better than him. It's not possible, right? How could our hearts possibly contain the Son of God that loved us and gave himself for us? So these things we know, don't we? Amen? We just need to be reminded of them and live in the good of them, which is really what Paul prays in Ephesians chapter 3. Um, in fact, let's just look at that briefly before we uh, get into chapter 4 again. Um, Ephesians 3.14, magnificent prayer. <clears throat> he says, for this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is in light of Paul realizing who the saints were. So important for us to realize who we are in Christ. The, the awesome place we've been brought to in Christ. Um, in light of that, he prays for them from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, verse 16, that he, the Father, would grant you according to the riches of his glory. <laughs> so that's like the measure of how much um, wealth that's getting poured into this prayer. According to the riches of his glory, Father, would you give to the saints to be strengthened. Notice how extensive it is. To be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. So this is... Um, not uh, praying for strengthening to, for service. This is an inner strengthening, that you be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ might dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, after all, it's faith that lays hold of these things as reality, that Christ would dwell in your hearts, right? Not just be in your hearts, but that he'd dwell in your hearts, that he'd inhabit, that he'd fill up your hearts by faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height. So Ephesians is one of those kind of books that blows your mind, right? <laughs> Can't get your arms around it. Um, but the, the desire is that we be able to comprehend what is the width and length and depth and height. How do we, how we be able to do that? Well, the first thing he prayed for is strengthening so that then Christ would fill up our hearts to overflowing so that then we'd be able to comprehend God's plans, God's thoughts, God's ways. The reason why Christ has to fill our hearts is because, like we were saying to get this morning, that Christ is at the center of God's heart. And so how can we possibly understand God's thoughts if we didn't get the focus, <laughs> if we didn't get the center, the hub, so to speak? Because things would be all out of whack in our thinking then. So once we have Christ and the enjoyment of Christ filling our hearts, then it enables us to enjoy God's plans and God's purposes, like Israel and the church and the kingdom of God and all these things. If you don't have Christ in view and enjoyment of Christ, then those things aren't going to make much sense. But once we have that, then we're able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. So that, so all these things are flowing on to the next thing, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. <laughs> How can that be, right? That you may be filled with all the fullness of God, not some of, but all the fullness of God, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. The only way I can understand that is that our capacity must be increasing, right? 
in answer to this prayer, that the fullness of God, we start to keep getting filled up more and more and more. And the Lord gives us the capacity to enjoy him and know him more and more. So that, you know, it's not like the Lord just fills up our cup. He makes our cup keep getting bigger. <laughs> so he can keep filling it up more and making it overflow even more. And so the joy of the Lord, the enjoyment of the Lord can grow. Amen? Amen. So the Lord help us. Um, good to pray these things. So sounds like an impossibility, doesn't it? And the next verse is in that context. Sometimes we quote this verse about, you know, we're going to pray for the Lord's work or whatever. But the context is this, this idea of us being filled with all the fullness of God, Christ filling our hearts up. You know, um, every day, right, we're always in the full enjoyment of Christ. No. <laughs> right? We get distracted. We get confused. Whatever. Things occupy our minds. And so it's very good and right to pray these things, even for ourselves, but certainly for one another. And God is able... That's what the next verse says, right? Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. How is he going to do it? According to the power that works in us. Remember the prayer started with the spirit of God that's in us, strengthening us in the inner man. God is capable of us enjoying Christ, of us being filled to overflowing with Christ. The Holy Spirit is capable of doing that. If it was some kind of like God's going to appeal to our great intellect, to the richness of our own hearts or something, that then we'll be filled with all the fullness of God, of course that's impossible. But the Holy Spirit dwells in every believer, and so we can be in the enjoyment of these things. So the Lord encourage us in that. So with that in view, we wanted to go to chapter 4, chapter 4, verse 25. So we had talked about the, this idea of the new man, the old man, how in the old man there's this um, never being satisfied and how once we come to Christ, we're really delivered from that and the slavery that comes with that, as illustrated in the woman at the well who had to keep going back to wells, keep going back to wells, five of them, and then the sixth one should even bother marrying them, you know? Keep going back to wells. Isn't that wonderful to be delivered from that? That slavery that you have to have, I need. I had forgotten an illustration. Maybe some of you know Craig Sikarji. He was a good friend of mine growing up, and he had this illustration of this idea. Apparently, there was a cigar company that their advertisement was this. This illustrates the well idea. It satisfies. Have another. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's all a lie. Right? It doesn't satisfy. That's why you have to have another. Right? So, but Christ satisfies even to overflowing. The fountain within, overflowing, springing up unto everlasting life. So that satisfaction, um, even that uh, uh, ability to come into reality, to face reality. Remember that woman, she didn't want to face reality. She tried to dodge it. I don't have a husband. She tried to dodge it. Let's talk about, you know, whether we should worship on this mountain or not. Coming into reality, you know, eventually she, was, she says, this is something she celebrates. Come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. The people in the city knew her. Why would you rejoice in that, right? All things you ever did. This is a marvelous thing that he told you, all things that you ever did. It was, right? She had come into the light, and she wasn't scared of it anymore. She was happy for the truth. She'd come into the good of reality yeah, in having met the Lord Jesus. She'd been delivered from the well, been delivered from the water pot. Whatever it might be that we... I think the water pot idea is helpful. It's helpful to me, anyway. Like, it, it might be... We, if we were trying to put it in words, it would be the thing that we think we need to enable us to access what we think we need, right? Now, maybe it's, um, and I'm not trying to pick on 
um, MP3s or something like that. But maybe it's our iPod, right? That we think we need that so we can plug our ears, right? I call it the IV. And I see you got your IV in, you know, you're just dripping it in your ears. That's the modern generation. Um, I guess I'm getting old. But anyway, I do it on the airplane. It's very helpful, right, to have some nice music or some messages to listen to. But do you need that? Do you need it? Do you need to go on vacation? It's great to go on vacation, right? There's nothing wrong with going on vacation. But do you need it? That's what I guess we're saying. We don't need it. All we need is the Lord Jesus. All we ever need and ever will need is the Lord Jesus. Did Paul need vacation when he was in prison to make him sing? Apparently not. He didn't even have an iPod. They didn't have MP3s yet. But there it came from inside, right? He was singing from the inside out. Praise the Lord. That's what we want, don't we? I mean, it wasn't very ideal circumstances. And yet there was that joy in the inside overflowing out. So um, we're delivered from that kind of slavery. So the Lord help us, you know, be discerning. We all have different situations. We have different kind of appetites, things we're attracted to. But to really, um, we can enjoy vacation on a much higher level if we're not thinking that this is what's going to satisfy me. Amen? That makes some sense? Because then if it rains on vacation, right, it's not ruined. Because we're enjoying the Lord Jesus. <laughs> and then we can enjoy his creation and praise him for it. But if it rains, it's not like it all, all went away. Now, I know it doesn't rain down here, so that probably wasn't a good illustration. <laughs> it does rain in Pennsylvania a fair amount. So we get to verse 25 then, and there's some practical uh, application of some of these thoughts. So um, if I was going to try to put it in two pieces, this idea of being satisfied with Christ and of seeing reality, you know, facing reality. Uh, one brother, when he was speaking on Ecclesiastes, talked about, like, you have two options, essentially. You can face reality or you can try to escape reality, right? So this is living in reality, seeing reality, truth, uh, the renewed mind that looks at things for what they really are. That's what truth really is, the way things uh, really are. And this is going to flow into our sharing God's um, heart, God's character, God's ways, God's perspective, God's life. Because now we're connected with him. We have this real life connection with the living God. Remember the new man, it says, verse 24, is created according to God in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Therefore, verse 25, having put away lying or falsehood, and it seems to me in the flow of thought there, it's that idea of like that whole way of thinking, that whole way of living that was a lie. Having put that away, let's live the real life, you know, in reality, in, the, in enjoyment of Christ. Having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak truth with your neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands, what is good that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on each one of these, but just kind of looking at them from above, from this thoughts, these thoughts that we've been looking at, is that the satisfaction with Christ, the enjoyment of Christ, that he's enough, now and forever, um, helps us be solid, helps us be settled, helps us be steady, right? Because I'm not looking to life circumstances 
for the satisfaction, for happiness. I have it already, because <laughs> I have Christ. And so then, why would you lie to your neighbor? Well, so you could get something, right? <laughs> well, I'm delivered from that need, because I have Christ. Why would I explode when someone provokes me? <laughs> well, because, you know, it cut in on me. Well, I've been delivered from that. Uh, why would I, you know, uh, steal from people? Because it's me-centered, right? I'm trying to get for myself. My life is centered around me. Well, I've been delivered from that. My life is in Christ now. It's centered around Christ, and I have him. I don't need to steal. Instead, there's this fountain, right? Instead of stealing, taking, I'm working so I can give. That's an overflowing person. That's a beautiful thing. The Lord changes us like that. Instead of words that are like rotten apples, instead I give things that are edifying, that build people up, that help them. Instead of bitterness and wrath and anger, ugh, it's so destructive, isn't it? It's so unpleasant to be around people that are bitter, angry. I always see the negative, you know. Instead of that, we've been delivered from that. We have the Lord Jesus. And so even when someone steps on our toes, we can forgive them, right? Because we have this amazing power that we didn't have before because we have the Lord Jesus, because we have everything we need in him. And so there's that fountain overflowing. Instead of, you know, fighting and scratching and trying to get for yourself, it kind of continues on into chapter 5. He says, Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, so remember, the new man is created according to God. And so as children of God, sharing his nature now, as loved children of God, the recipients of great love, we uh, reproduce that love. Be imitators of God as dear children. So walk in love, verse 2. So we've received love, and love should come out from our life. Walk in love. Be imitators of God. So the life of God showing in us. I've kind of titled this section, as I've kind of outlined Ephesians through the years, as God's perspective. God's perspective. That we now want to share God's perspective. Um, his senses. And there's some references to senses. You know, we have our eyes and our ears and our nose and those kind of things. We'll uh, bring them out from the, the text. That we want to come to share God's perspective and therefore uh, his character and ways in our life. So be imitators of God. That's what our calling is. We're supposed to be like him. It's possible because the Holy Spirit lives in us. So as loved children, walk in love, and now the example of love, as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us in offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor, sweet-smelling aroma. So the Lord Jesus Christ as the example of love. Walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us. Love gives, sacrifices. Love gives of itself to bless others. Christ loved us and gave himself for us. An offering and sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. So you see there's a sense in there, right? We got the nostrils of God. He smelled the Lord Jesus, offering himself up on the cross for us as a sacrifice, and it smelled good. It was a sweet-smelling aroma to him. So apple pie would be a sweet-smelling sweet aroma to me. Apples. Um, not everything smells good, though. 
when I was growing up, my mom and my aunt used to, this was the thing to do back then. I'd come home from school and the, the house was filled with the aroma of perm. Now, some of you youngins maybe have never smelled that, and you can thank the Lord for that, but it is not attractive. Sorry, ladies, if you still perm and all the rest, but I did not enjoy that. That was um, kind of right up there with the smell of cauliflower cooking. I just did not enjoy that. Sorry if you love cauliflower, but... Um, so there's sweet-smelling aromas, and there's things that aren't, and that's what the next verse says, right? But... So we have love that's beautiful, that's lovely. Love gives of itself to bless others. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be even named among you as is fitting for saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving a thanks. For this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. So God smelled, if we can use that terminology, the sweet-smelling aroma of love in the Lord Jesus giving himself for us. And that is beautiful. Amen? One, the Son of God laying down his life for sinners like us is beautiful. But fornication, so you notice the contrast there. So we have love, and if we're going to kind of title it, we could say lust, right? So love gives of itself to bless others, and that's beautiful. Lust takes from others to try to fill self. It's actually the complete op opposite. The world calls it the same thing, right? But it's not. It's not love. It's taking from others to try to fill me, to make me happy. And praise the Lord, if we're enjoying the Lord Jesus Christ, living in the good of that, we're delivered from that, right? Because we don't need to try to fill ourselves. We're already full to overflowing. And so we can share God's perspective here. Fornication is any use of the body's ability to be intimate in a way that's out of line with God's design, marriage. So physical intimacy that's out of, outside of marriage. Fornication and all uncleanness. So these are things associated with that. Every kind of uncleanness that's connected with fornication. Or covetousness, that's the desire associated with it. The desire to have. It's actually the same word as greediness that we had read in uh, verse 19 of chapter 4, the have-moreness. That is what happens, isn't it? I mean, how many guys go to, uh, excuse me if I'm being too specific, go to a strip joint and say, oh, that's all I need. You know, that was enough. I'm full. Now they go again, right? And they get addicted or pornography or whatever it is. Um, extramarital affairs, right? It doesn't satisfy. It's a lie. It's the deceitful lusts. And it corrupts, it ruins people. So that have-moreness is going to be characteristic of it, right? Because it's not, it's a deceitful lust. So, love, sweet-smelling aroma, fornication, vile. Let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints, holy ones. Neither filthiness, these things, it, it seems to me, are associated with the same idea of lust or fornication. Filthiness, foolish, talking, coarse, jesting, of course, all the innuendo, the jokes. I mean, some people can't even go through life uh, and look at a tree without some kind of perverse thought and, their, and perverse comment, you know. You're in the world, and it's, it's pretty vile. The Lord help us. Um, there's some young men, young ladies here. 
Um, maybe you're out at school and the guys at the table, at the lunch table, want to make jokes like that. The Lord help us to not laugh at it. It's actually not funny. Hopefully maybe some of this will help you realize that. It's not funny. It's vile. It's disgusting. Instead, there should be giving of thanks. Again, there's that overflow idea, right? That we're enjoying the Lord and we're overflowing of thanksgiving instead of making crude jokes coming out of our mouth. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. So look forward to the millennial reign of the Lord Jesus. He's on the earth, ruling in, on, the, on the throne of David. Everything's made right. It's a beautiful world, finally, for real. <laughs> things are right. Is, it, is there going to be those things going on during his rule? Is there going to be, you know, pornography? That's going to be okay. You know, there's going to be, you know, um, inappropriate dress. Is that going to be TV shows that are, you know, vile and disgusting? No. <laughs> you know that. You know that that's not like the Lord. That's not like Christ. You know that. See, we need to be reminded of that, apparently, because of the next verse says, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So there can be deception. We can start to rationalize it. The world tries to rationalize it for us. They present it as, as, as if it's attractive, as if it's good, but it's not. It's a deception. It's a lie. You know that that's not what Christ is like. He's not like that. Therefore, verse 7, do not be partakers with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit, or light, is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep, Arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So don't be partakers with them. Don't be deceived into thinking that lust is the same as love. Love gives of itself to bless others. Lust takes from others to try to fill self. We have Christ. We don't need to try to fill self. It won't work anyway. Enjoy Christ. That's the real way to go. Well, keep the light on, right? You used to be in the dark, right? Uh, futility of your mind, having your understanding dark and alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them, because of the blindness of their heart, verse uh, 17 and 18 of chapter 4. You used to be there. You're not there anymore. There's a danger that you're going to go back to that, but stay in the light. You were once darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And verse 9 is super helpful to me. For the fruit of the light is in all goodness righteousness and truth. So in the context, shining the light on this immoral, perverse behavior that's out of line with God's design for physical intimacy inside marriage alone, shine the light on these things, on fornication. Um, you could ask questions from those three words, the idea of goodness, righteousness, and truth. Is it good? Is love good? Giving of myself, like the Lord Jesus, to bless others. Is it good? I mean, good is the idea of beneficial. Does it bless, like a good apple, right? Does it bless? Does it give health? Um, 
a man being devoted to his wife for all of his life and loving her and being faithful to her and ministering to her, is that good? Oh, man, what a blessing, right? And vice versa, a woman to a man. What a blessing it is to society. What a blessing it is to the family. What a blessing it is to the marriage. What a blessing it is to the children. What a blessing it is to the people around them, right? Love is good. How about fornication and uncleanness? Is it good? Is it beneficial? Do people come out better off because of it? Is it healthy? <laughs> Ruins people, right? You might get presented as if it's good, like this is what you really want. This is going to make you happy. But it's a lie. It's a deceitful lust. It's not good. Is it right? Is love right? Is, is marriage right? Uh, faithfulness in marriage? Is that right? A man, a woman make a commitment, a covenant with one another, and they keep their word? Is that right? It is right, right? That's keeping up to the standard. It's beautiful in that way. Is um, fornication and uncleanness right? Is it right to take what God had designed to be beautiful and twist it? Make it perverse? Is it true? Oh, goodness, righteousness, and truth. Is it true? So true is the idea of real. Is it real? So is love real? <laughs> it is, right? A, a, a man and a woman, be faithful to one another, love each other, go through life together, have children together, grow together, serve the Lord together. That's real. There, there's a real fellowship there, isn't there? There's a real fellowship there. There's a, there's a joy in that. How about fornication and uncleanness? Right? You see the billboard, you see the TV advertisement, you see the internet, I guess that's probably the more common way these days, right? That, that makes it look like, you know, they're all hanging out at the party, you know, not very dressed. <laughs> and that's where it's at, right? I mean, they, they look like they're having a great time. <laughs> Is it real? Is it true? Is that really what happens? I mean, do, do people have a good life because of that? <laughs> Not at all, right? It only destroys. And it's not real fellowship. It's not real fellowship. It's a lie. It's a deception. So the Lord helped me and help you, as we're exposed to things that's all around us in the world, to think the way God thinks. And maybe these three questions would be helpful. Is it good? Is it right? Is it true? And I, for some reason, that the true idea really resonates with me. That it help, to, to help me discern. And, and the light helps you do that, right? You shine the light on it. You ask these kind of questions. Now, I'm not saying you focus on it, because that's the wrong thing to do, right? You want to look away right away. <laughs> but as, as you're tempted by something, you, you shine the light of, of God's thoughts and God's word upon it. And uh, think clearly, which is actually where the text is going, and, and say, is it good? <laughs> is this really going to help my life? Is this going to help other people's life? Is it right? Is it true? Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. So there's, again, that idea almost of the, the nostrils of the Lord. Does, it, does it, the Lord enjoy it? Does the Lord enjoy it? The eyes of the Lord looking at it. Is he happy when he sees it? Like when he saw the Lord Jesus dying on the cross for our sins, laying down his life for us. He says, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. So this idea of fellowship, right, verse 7, do not be partakers with them. That's the sons of disobedience who are practicing these things. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them, verse 11, so that you want to uh, get away from it rather than get close to it. Um, I work in the wonderful world of wastewater. So all of the toilets flush and go down the pipes, go to a, a wastewater treatment plant. They go into a tank 
You know, so picture a tank. I, a lot of times I have PowerPoint so you can visualize it, but I'll, I'll spare you of that, okay? So a tank of you know what's in there. Uh, you actually, you know, treat it and then you settle out the solids out of it and they go into another tank. That's called the digester. So in the, it's all solids now in there that don't smell very good. Um, so picture that tank. Maybe it's a concrete tank, you know, with a wall around it. Um, would it be a great idea to jump in? Would you have any attraction to jump in? Your nose would tell you otherwise, right? Well, but I mean, maybe you wouldn't actually jump in, but maybe just kind of dip your hand in, right, and play with it a little bit. What kind of fool would do that? I have a better idea. How will we have a race around the top of the tank? Why would you do that? If you know something is vile, if you know something's disgusting, your nostrils are telling you that. Praise the Lord for nostrils, right? It tells us to stay away from things. Why would you have fellowship on any level, right? Why would you want any contact with it? Have no fellowship with it. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Use your nostrils, use your eyes, and get away. Get away. Think of the book of Proverbs. I mean, how many verses, how many chapters of Proverbs are de dedicated to this? Dad talking to his son, saying, son, don't get anywhere close. Pass on the other side of the road. Don't go near her door. Speaking of an adulterous woman. So the Lord uh, help us to just take that simple exhortation, have no fellowship with them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. Light shows things up for what they really are. So uh, I like to use the illustration. I, I guess I have black pants on. So I have black pants on. Um, I think I have black socks on. Right? They might be dark blue, depending on... You know, if I went out into the true light, that's when we'd see. You might not even be able to tell in here. But if you went out into the true light, the sun, then you'd be able to discern. And that's what we want, right? We want the sun to shine on things and to distinguish things that might not be really obvious even, right? We don't want to, I went into one restaurant, someone took me to a restaurant, and the lights were so dim, like, I was thinking, how can we even see our food? Now, it's amazing how your eyes adjust, but that's not how we want to go through life. I'm going to that restaurant's fine, but we don't want to go through light with the minimal amount of light as possible. We don't want to love darkness rather than light because our deeds are evil, to use the words of the Lord Jesus. Instead, we want to get away from them. We want to expose things for what they really are and therefore get away from them. Now, what uh, can happen sadly, is that a person that is light in the Lord, that's actually saved, could be acting like and hanging out with and being part of the world and all that debauchery. And so the Lord says, wake up, you who sleep, and arise from among the dead. I think that's what the idea here is of verse 14, is that here there's dead people laying down, picture them, and then you're alive and you go lay among them as if you're a dead person. You're not a dead person. Don't act like them. Don't hang out with them. Get up. You know better. Wake up, you who sleep. Arise from among the dead and Christ will give you light. See then, verse 15, that you walk circumspectly, not as fools but as wise. Or um, it seems that the verb arrangement there is maybe a little bit more accurately this way carefully 
consider how you walk. Because the um, adverb carefully modifies the word see. So look carefully or carefully consider how you walk. Carefully consider how you walk. In the words of Proverbs, ponder the paths of your feet and let all your steps be well ordered. Great verse. Ponder the paths of your feet and let all your steps be well ordered. Carefully consider how you walk, not as fools, but as wise. Something dawned on me. I, um, we taught on Proverbs at camp a few years ago. And so what I did is I just downloaded Proverbs and listened to it everywhere I went. Right? So you just listen to it and you're driving wherever you can. And eventually things start to sink in. You know, I'm a little dense. I have to hear it over and over again. But eventually it's, things start to sink in. And this is what's sunk in is that really the biggest challenge is just to make the decision to be wise. Over and over again, dad just keeps saying that to his son. Son, be wise. Just decide to be wise. And then all the other, you know, exhortations that come later on. It's like the first nine chapters essentially are devoted to that. Son, be wise. Don't be a fool. <laughs> fools want to be fools. That's what kind of dawned on me. Wow. People actually choose to be fools. They don't want to be wise. They don't want to see things for what they really are. They think that'll spoil the fun. Wow. So there it is right there in the New Testament, right? Carefully consider how you walk, not as fools, but as wise. See, fools don't want to carefully consider how they walk. They don't want to because they might make decisions that they shouldn't do what they're doing. And they think that that's going to spoil the fun, that they're going to miss out then somehow. Don't be like that, son. Be wise. Don't be like that saint. Decide to be wise. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Realize that it's not all good. Right? I know we kind of say that, say it's all good, meaning, you know, you didn't offend me or that's not a big deal. But it's not all good, right, in the world. The days are evil. We have to have our brain working. We have to have our eyes open. We have to have our nostrils working in the spiritual sense, the discernment sense. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So be awake, not sleeping. So at least you got your eyes open now. But you might not be alert, right? You could have your eyes open and not alert. Um, and so be alert. Carefully consider how you walk. And then um, be understanding what the will of the Lord is. The, the uh, word understanding has the idea of perceive. Perceive what the will of the Lord is. Really be looking at things to discern, to distinguish what the will of the Lord is. One day at camp, I uh, had contacts in my teens, and I put my contact lenses in the wrong eyes. And my eyes weren't real bad, so I didn't realize it at first. But it was a very strange day. <laughs> things were just not right, you know? Um, the per perceive uh, kind of has that idea, like we, God gave us two eyes, and we're able to discern things because of that, right? You can have depth perception because of that. You're able to perceive how far away, how quick things are moving. And so, you know, have your brain on. <laughs> Be perceptive. Use both eyes at looking at things. The world doesn't want you to because they want to use you. <laughs> they don't want you to be thinking clearly. They want you to dull your senses, which is actually in the next verse, do not be drunk with wine, in which is debauchery, right? They want you to dull your thinking. They want you to not work through things in your mind and be sharp and alert and perceptive. But instead, as saints of God, in the light, 
Be discerning. Be thinking things through. Be perceptive. Decide to be wise. Son, decide to be wise. It's really the good way to go. And maybe particularly apply it to this thought of love and lust. God's perspective on it. Love is beautiful. Lust is ugly, horrible, disgusting. It won't be part of the kingdom of Christ and of God. He has no appetite for it. So we want to share God's perspective. And this enjoyment of Christ by the Holy Spirit can deliver us from that. We're not looking to fill ourselves because we're already full. Right? This week, brothers have been feeding me way too much. Like yesterday at Korean barbecue. Way too much food. So, and I, you know, hamburgers weren't that attractive last night. I ate one just to be, you know, friendly. But, you know, it's just not that attractive. The, the, in the words of the Proverbs, the full soul loathes the honeycomb. But to every hungry soul, not, but to the hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. So the solution is to be full, <laughs> to be filled with Christ, to enjoy Christ. And he spoils us for the world. He changes our way of thinking. He doesn't make us think, oh, I don't want to think about that because that might convict me that I shouldn't be doing this, and this really makes me happy. No, I'm willing to walk in the light. I'm willing to face the truth because I really think that God knows everything. He knows what's good for me. His way is the best way. Amen? I mean, has God ever, um, is there any good reason to think he's not good? He sent his son to die on the cross while we were yet sinners. Should we really not trust him to think that he's going to try to withhold something from us that's good for us? No, we can trust him. So instead of being drunk with wine, this idea of uh, dulling our senses, instead we want to have sharp senses by being filled with the Spirit, that the Spirit of God can give us that ability to discern and to judge and to see things for what they really are. So the Lord encourage us uh, in these things. I trust this is of some help to you um, in your walk with the Lord. And uh, may the Lord Jesus be precious to you. I, I find it great, like, when you find hymns. That it's not like this is a new message, right? <laughs> Saints from 100, 200, 400, I think that one song was 400 years old. That they've been learning the same truths for us. We just need to live in the same good of it from the Word of God. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ, for uh, giving him for us, uh, for giving him to us, that we can enjoy him, the son of your love. And if he's enough to fill your heart, certainly he's enough to fill ours. And we pray that you would fill our hearts and expand our capacity to enjoy him more and more. And Father, as we face temptation in this world and the devil trying to destroy us, Father, would you help us to live in the truths that you've given us even tonight through your word in Ephesians. Um, That we might be be determined to be wise, that we might be determined to have the light on full blast and to see things for what they are and expose them for what they are and therefore have our walk be well-ordered so that we could be blessed, but even more importantly, so that you would be honored, that we'd be imitators of God. Thank you that we can rest in your love for us. Thank you that we can actually be reproducers by your spirit of that love. Give help for the saints here and for myself that we might be like fountains that are overflowing. And when we're feeling hollow, Father, um, keep reminding us not to go to the empty cisterns, to not hew them out even for ourselves, to not pick the water pot up again and to go back to the wells, but to turn to the fountain of living water, 
who can satisfy to overflowing. We thank you that your Holy Spirit lives in us, um, that you're able to do these things even beyond what we've asked or even that we might even think of according to the power that works in us. We praise you for that. And may it be so that the saints here would be super abounding uh, in in the goodness and the, the wonder of the Lord Jesus Christ and that they'd be a great blessing to those around them as a result. And we pray in the Lord Jesus' name, amen.